Chapter Fourteen of Irene Iddesley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irene Iddesley by Amanda McKittrick Ross. Chapter Fourteen. The affections of youth never die; they live sometimes to lift the drooping head, and help to chase sorrow from the heart of the oppressed. If fostered unduly, they generally prove to be more closely interwoven than if retained through honesty alone, and fight the battle of union with cannon strength until gained for good or evil. Awaking from the deep sleep she so much enjoyed after her troublesome adventures in the past, Christmas Day seemed wreathed with flowers of heavenly fragrance for the once fair bride of Dunfern Mansion. She now felt free to act as she thought best, without undergoing an examination which demanded answers of evasive tact, free from the hovering cloud of dislike under which she so solemnly moved since her marriage day, free from the wild gaze of that detestable of mortals, Rachel Hyde, who proved as false as she was foul, free from reposing on the suicidal couch of distrust and distress, free from the surveillance of a so-called philanthropist, and free from the traps of tyrannical power. She had no longer to fear the opening door of creaking custody or crushed hopes, and well might she now enjoy her Christmas dinner with rural relish and savory zest. She found in Audley Hall every simple and inexpensive comfort, and rejoiced once more to be under the gentle rule of him whom she would have died to serve. She seemed now to have reached joy's greatest height, and never hoped that she should again be dashed into the dam of denounced riches, where love was an absenter to its silvery depth, since she had aspired to and achieved the greatest aim of her ambition. Oscar Otwell's happiness knew no bounds. The trusted tutor had at last secured the only hope he ever wished realized, although gained with daring enterprise and false advances. He believed that life at last possessed some charms for him, viewing matters lightly, but behind the silvery rock of fortune there lies a hollow filled with darkened traces of fate. The love dream of youth had hardly time to be told until the future dream of wonder and dread was about to be prophesied. A couple of months or so after Lady Dunfern took up her residence at Audley Hall found her more a dependent than a patroness. She had recently fled from a dungeon, Still, it was not one of either starvation or poverty. While occupying its darkened mist, she never had any cause for complaint regarding food or attendance, both of which could not possibly have been excelled. It was only when staring her lover's scanty table fully that thoughts of any nature, save cruelty, haunted her, and caused a sad expression to appear which before seemed invisible. Oscar, who had no means whatever of a private nature, soon commenced to feel the touch of want as well as Lady Dunfern. He had no situation, neither had he the means to afford the homeliest fare, and although made owner of his present habitation, yet it was only conditionally he obtained it from his uncle. Must not the great love they naturally had for each other have been of very superlative strength, since it bade adieu to boundless wealth on the one hand, and a comfortable allowance on the other, to face the future with penniless pride? Advertisements were often seen in the leading journals for a situation, and once the name Oscar Otwell appeared below. 
it was treated with muffled silence so much so that after a month's daily appealing to a praiseworthy public the result proved a decided failure did he imagine his conduct in robbing sir john dunfern of his youthful wife would be appreciated by a public band of critics did he by his various attempts to enter the minds of the needy ever think to solicit their assistance or gain their confidence by tearing asunder the lawful bond of superficial union and right casting it upon the sieve of shattered shelter to separate the corn of crowded comfort from the chaff of crafty want oscar otwell whose literary abilities were proved beyond doubt and which were the sole source of his existence was by his conduct and craving desire driven into the pit of trifling tenure and allowed to lie dormant until again aroused in a climb to which he soon must wend his wasted way it was now that the heated passion of youth's folly became abated as oscar was beginning to near his purse's wrinkled bottom and failing in his strenuous efforts to secure a tutorship was smartly made to feel that he must visit a land of strangers where height of ability and depth of character were alike unquestioned it was at this stage too that lady dunfern was made to taste of the dish of fanciful wish in which she often dipped her slender fingers to sprinkle her body of dishonesty she got time now to brood over her actions of silly execution and hatch them with heated hunger the orphan the pampered the honoured was at this period the deluded the mocked the hungered this was only the beginning of what must follow and where did the blame attachable rest but on the shoulders of her who had edged the road of unreasonable revenge and stripped herself of the covering of coveted cost to array herself in linen of loose lore and lengthy wear and die it may be on the wayside of want the shaft of poverty still kept striking the inmates of audley hall until forced to withdraw its clumsy blow there was evidently now plenty of scope for the talent of the learned oscar to develop he must plan how to arrive at an idea that would bring to the occupants of his temporary home the necessities of which they stood immediately in need failing in his efforts to gain one step towards relief lady dunfern advised the disposal of audley hall privately which she strongly hinted to oscar was their only path of safety from the door of starvation to this suggestion she succeeded in gaining his consent he accordingly acting upon her advice wrote to dr o'sullivan president of chitworth college intimating to him his present circumstances and intention and begged of him to use his best efforts in sending him a purchaser the sale to be kept strictly private for reasons which presently he felt too delicate to explain in a week or so after a gentleman was seen approach the door of oscar's home and making the necessary inquiries regarding the price oscar meant to accept for it offered the sum of one thousand pounds which needless to say was gladly accepted the purchaser was rather an elderly gentleman with chiselled features tall and straight and seemed to have borne the melting heat of a far-off clime to a large extent he informed oscar that being a retired army pensioner named major iddesley he chose to leave the foreign land in which he sojourned for upwards of thirty-five years and reside in his native country adding that he was a widower having had two sons both of whom predeceased him and preferred a home of his own rather than take up quarters he could not solely claim he went on to say he had an only brother a colonel who formerly resided at flixton 
a quaint little town on the east coast of Kent. He had not heard from him for many years, and was resolved on arriving in England to lose no time in finding out his whereabouts. And, much to his grave disappointment and vexation, he was informed, whilst staying for a few days with President O'Sullivan, that he and his wife had long since been dead, leaving an only daughter, of whom he was now in earnest pursuit. Oscar's deadly countenance, during the latter part of Major Iddesley's remarks, filled the mind of the purchaser of Audley Hall with thoughts of wonder, and on casting a sharp and penetrating stare at her who passed as Oscar's wife, he was similarly struck with intense awe at the sudden change that swept over her handsome face. Her brain whirled with dire excitement on being at last informed of him who, for years previous, she considered had been a member of the missing majority. Great and merciful forgiver, thought Lady Dunfern, Am I at last face to face with Major Iddesley, whose name has been so often the subject of conversation with both Lord and Lady Dilworth? Gathering her thoughts, and submitting them to subjection, she tried to subdue her shattered nerves and lock them under proper restraint, until her uncle should safely be out of sight on his way back to the home of the kind-hearted president of Chitworth College. She had not, however, the slightest thought of making him cognizant of the fact that she was the proud and lovely daughter of his brother, the late Colonel Iddesley, the once adored wife of the widely respected and generous owner of Dunfern Estate, and now the tempted tool of emigration. She prayed in her bewilderment that she might escape unknown to him, rather than make him aware of the disgrace into which her past conduct had unmistakably plunged her. Bidding Oscar and her adieu, Major Iddesley left what was to be his future home, and returned to Dr. O'Sullivan to acquaint him of his purchase. Before he had even reached the college on his way from Audley Hall, Oscar Otwell, Lady Dunfern, and Marjorie had booked for New York on board the Delwyn, and when the worthy president was informed of the purchase, the dashing waves of Atlantic waters were raising themselves to a considerable height before the eyes of the fugitives, who nervously paced the deck of danger in despair and deepest thought of their farble transaction, and Major Iddesley, lest before they reach their destiny he would be made possessor of his niece's conduct, and, with the warlike will of a soldier of strength, follow her and bring her back to Audley Hall, to administer to his many wants and comforts, and bequeath to her all he possessed. Nor did Oscar Otwell, whose nerves were reaching their shaky height, feel free until safely ensconced in a trim little cottage on the outskirts of Dobbs Ferry, some miles distant from the suburbs of New York. Oscar's first thought, after being quietly settled in his new home, was to bind himself for life to be the husband of her who had risked so much to bring him the joy he long sought after. And within one month after their safe arrival in New York borders, the pretty little church, situated at the east end of Dobbs Ferry, was the scene of a charming group of wealthy sightseers and warm admirers of the handsome bride of Oscar Otwell, who had lately regained some of her former spirits, which enlivened her to a pleasing extent, and manifested signs of joy where lines of sorrow so lately lived. It was for this celebration that Lady Dunfern arrayed herself in the gorgeous gown of purest duchesse satin, which bore such a train of past remembrances. Why its puffs of pearly wealth surrounded her well-formed figure on the celebration of her marriage with him who long ago should have claimed its shining folds, may be considered mysterious. But in this, as well as in many other instances, the busy brain of Marjorie Mason was prime mover. 
During Lady Dunfern's confinement in the mansion over which she unjustly was appointed mistress, Sir John Dunfern, never suspecting the maid of her on whom he was driven to lavish my corps, appointed Marjorie mistress of her ladyship's wardrobe, and it was during her term of office that she stole from its midst the box containing the beautiful Parisian outfit, which failed to put in an appearance on Lady Dunfern's previous wedding day. This Marjorie kept until safe in the shady cot of comfort which encompassed within its wooden walls the trio of adventure. Lady Dunfern resolved that this gown should be kept a prisoner until either worn with a face of happiness and prided ambition, or never worn at all. On entering the church on the morning of her marriage with Oscar, how every eye was turned towards the beautiful woman whose radiant smile gained the hearts of each and all of its occupants. There she stood before the holy altar with calm resolution and undaunted fear, and her elegant bearing and manner throughout the trying ceremony were thoroughly appreciated by the assembly. Oscar bore slight traces of nervousness throughout the oratorical ordeal, and was rejoiced indeed as he turned to leave the scene of such outbursts of praise, taking with him her who was to be his coveted partner for life, her whose footsteps he so often worshipped in days gone by, her who entered into treaty legally with a man she never could learn to love, her whom he now claimed as his own, and for whom he stumbled over many an awkward and winding stile, until at last his footsteps had reached the path of level tread, on which he hoped to travel until his journey would be ended to that distant land where strife is a stranger. End of chapter 14